continue to bless you. I've, I've just been so impressed with the number of people who have uh, used this time of, if you call it crisis, uh, as a time to reach out and to help one another, and I just encourage you to continue to do that. The Bible says uh, that uh, the world will know that we are followers of Jesus by the way that we love one another, and so I, I would encourage you just to keep on doing that. This morning we come to the conclusion of our study of Ephesians. We're finally um, going to finish off our study of this book. It's been oh, something uh, a little less than a year and a half that we've gone through it. We've seen a, a marvelous display of the gospel, the meaning of the gospel, the content of the gospel, the purpose of the gospel, and the application of the gospel as we've been looking at Ephesians. Starting out with Paul who reminds us that uh, the Father has chosen us out of the depths of his mercy and his love for us, that the Son has redeemed us by his sacrifice on the cross, and that the Holy Spirit has sealed us so that we are guaranteed, we know for certain that our salvation is secure. And as a result of that, we experience all this by the grace of God through faith, through simply trusting in Jesus Christ. And I hope that is your, your testimony this morning. Paul goes on then to notice how this grace of God working through the power of the gospel brings people together, makes us one in the body, in the church, but then it has ramifications. There's, there's a result of that, and it is that we would walk in a manner worthy of our calling as Christians, that was chapter 4, and that we would be imitators of God, that was chapter 5. And as a result of that, then we live a life that looks more and more like Jesus, and we wound up uh, just recently looking at the armor of God. Who knew that when we were studying the armor of God, that when we started this series of studies, that God would place our study of the armor of God immediately before the time of crisis in our country and our world when we would absolutely need the armor of God. I'm not saying that the virus is a demon from hell, although I guess if you've got it, it could seem like that. But what I am saying is that Satan uses the crises of our lives to try and pry us away from God. But when we are clothed in the armor of God, the full panoply of God, uh, then we are able to withstand the schemes of the devil. And all that he's trying to do to pry us away from God and away from one another in these uh, very interesting times. So uh, who knew that God would time it so perfectly? But then we come to this last two verses, and uh, they're, they're really fairly mundane verses. Paul basically says, uh, peace to you, love with faith, faith to you. Um, grace to you. It's, it's sort of a, uh, a standard kind of closing. We don't really think much about it, but um, Debbie was talking to me the other day, and she said, how is it that God knew that when we came to this time when we we're sort of uh, trying to fight this, this, uh, this infection and this virus, and, and the society is turned upside down, and, and we're, we're really sort of um, living a, a pattern of life that we're not used to, she said, who, who would have thought but that God would place the very words that we need to hear today? You know, that's true. Uh, even though the, the, the words, and we'll read them in just a moment, but Paul says, you know, just peace to the brothers. He says, I want love for all those who are brothers. He says, I want grace to those who love Christ with an unperishable kind of love. These really are the words that we need. Now, there's, there's nothing... Uh, terribly esoteric about it. It's not some secret. These are things that we know already. They're things that are part of us already. But we need to be reminded of. It's kind of like sometimes you need to be reminded to breathe. Now understand, I, I'm, I'm in favor of breathing. I, I enjoy breathing. 
I think breathing is a good thing to do. I think everybody ought to try it. Uh, breathing is something that, that seems essential to our lives. And I do a lot of breathing without even thinking about it. But sometimes I forget to think about breathing, and that's when breathing becomes something I need to think about. Uh, it, it, a long time ago, I, at, at this point, it might have been 30 years ago, but uh, it's back to when, when um, uh, uh, home fireplaces were a big thing and pellet stoves were a big thing and, and cutting your own wood was a big thing. And, and so there were several men in the church who were cutting down logs and splitting them and having the, um, their, their house heated by these, these, uh, this wood that they had cut. Well, one of the men in our church was cutting wood and he had a power uh, 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 log splitter and um, he, he got into a situation where instead of splitting the log, it split his finger open. And uh, that's actually a very serious thing. He was helicoptered up to the University of Maryland Hospital and the trauma center, and they had specialists there who could sew everything back together so it wouldn't be infected. He, would, he wouldn't lose the finger and so forth. And so he was up in, in Baltimore in the hospital, and I went to see him. And I went into his room. It was, it was a private room. And uh, I sat and I talked with him for a while, and I talked with his wife for a while. And just before I was, I was getting ready to go, the doctor came in. Well, I didn't want to interrupt the doctor naturally, so uh, he wanted to uh, redress the wound. And so uh, he took the, the, the man's uh, hand, uh, which was sort of in a sling to keep the, the, the finger elevated, and he, he took it and he run, unwrapped the finger, and I got to see this bloody conglomerate of sutures and, and wounds and so forth. Now, now, I'm okay with blood. I'm actually okay with blood. I've been in, in uh, emergency rooms and I've seen people after terrible accidents and had to talk with them and counsel with them and, and things like that. So as, as long as it's not my own, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm pretty much okay with blood. So he undressed the wound, he put it in that little liquid that makes it foam and everything, and then he took, the, he took it back and he wrapped it back up. And I'm watching all this. This is very interesting. I'm just intently watching all this go on. Finally, the doctor leaves. I say, well, let's, let's pray together. And I step up. And I take his hand and his wife's hand, and I bow my head, and that's when I realize you need to breathe. I had been so intent watching this doctor dress the wound that I think I, my breathing must have gotten shallow, and I just wasn't getting enough oxygen into the blood. And so when I bowed my head, the, the inner ear and you know, fluid started swirling around. And I'm telling you, I'd started to pray, and that room just started. Absolutely. And to this day, I don't know what I prayed. I'm sure it was a great prayer. I'm sure it, I, the man was healed on the spot, so I'm absolutely certain that, that it must have been a great prayer. But I don't know that because I don't remember what I prayed. All I remember thinking was, I've got to get out of here. Somewhere there's a chair, and I have got to sit down. So I, I mumbled through something, amen, and I started staggering to the door. And right then the wife said to me, Pastor, can I talk to you for a moment? Naturally, I said yes, and to the, I, I, I have no idea what she said. Again, I'm sure I solved the problem and that, you know, she was on, uh, really impressed with all that, but I had no idea. But I had forgotten to breathe. I had just forgotten to breathe. And, you know, sometimes you'll do that. Uh, the room's a little warm, a little stuffy, that, and uh, um, maybe you're concentrating on something and, and you're just not getting as much oxygen. And somebody says, hey, remember to breathe. Now, now I don't play golf. I, I respect the game too much, but they say that... If you take a breath and you settle your breathing before you hit the ball, you'll hit the ball better. Now, what I know is that there's not enough oxygen in the universe to straighten out my slice. But they say if you just remember to breathe, you'll be able to perform just a little bit better. And so Paul, I think, basically, he, here he's saying, don't forget to breathe. 
I know you're breathing. I know you're experiencing peace and the love and the grace. I know that's all a part of your life. But you need to be intentional about it. There's sometimes when you need to stop and to think about it. You need to remember that the peace of God is extended to the brothers. Now, the scripture says it this way. It says, peace be to the brothers. And as you know, in, in Greek, uh, the word brothers, is, it's, it's really meant to include men and women. He's not writing to a monastery of monks or something. He's writing to the church. So you can almost read, peace to the brothers and sisters, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, and grace be with you and with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. It says, don't forget to breathe. Don't forget about peace. Now, Paul has talked about this, uh, really, uh, in, in several places in the, in the letter to the Ephesians. It's not as though this is a new topic with him. Um, in fact, back in um, chapter 2 uh, and uh, verse 13, and, and this, is, this is where Paul is talking about the, um, uh, the way in which God has brought Jews and Gentiles together. Gentiles couldn't stand the Jews. Jews were contemptuous of the Gentiles. Uh, They really didn't mix very well. And yet in this body of Christ, Jew and Gentile have been brought together. And it's all because of Jesus Christ. And Paul writes this. It's chapter 2, verse uh, uh, 13. He says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You who were far off from God. You see, Paul is talking about the Gentiles were, were so far away from God. They weren't even in the ballpark. You know, with their pagan worship practices and pagan morality. Now, the Jews, you could say, were nearer to God. They were close to God. They had the, the Old Testament and the scriptures, what Paul calls the oracles of God. And so they were closer. But Jesus came and he was preached even to those who were far away from God. So he says, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Jesus is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And then if you skip over to uh, verse 17, he says, And he came, Christ came, he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, through Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Again, in your margin, Use your Trinity highlighter, mark, mark it right there. That's why we believe the Trinity, that in Christ, through Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have access to God the Father. So then, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And so we have peace with God through Christ. We are able to come into his presence. We are not at odds with him. One of the, one of the great... Um, aspects of the scripture is that when we were enemies of God he sent Christ to bring us back to him, to bring us unto himself so that we might know him and know him for all eternity so Paul says remember peace and remember that you need this peace and it's first of all it's peace with God but then it's also peace from God, this is what Jesus was talking about in the Sermon on the Mount when he says why, why are you anxious you know, why do you have anxiety in your life and you worry about what am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? You know, how is life going to work out? He says, look, God knows you need all these things. You look at the birds, you look at the lilies. You just do a basic study of how the universe operates and you understand that God knows you need all these things. Now, if your life is invested in seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, 
then all these things will be added to you. You know, they'll, they'll all take care of themselves. So don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. See, Jesus dealt with the anxiety that's inside of us. There's so much anxiety that we can have now. Um, some of it's caused by the things we know, and the things we know about uh, viruses and infections. By, by the way, aren't we all expert epidemiologists now? We, we pretty much all know everything there is to know. Nobody can possibly tell us anything about viruses anymore because we know it all, you know, now, now that we know anything. But sometimes that's, that, that causes anxiety. But what causes the, the greater anxiety are the things we don't know, the things that we can't control, that we, that we can't anticipate. But God hasn't been surprised by any of it. And if we are found in him, if our lives belong to him, if we are walking in a manner worthy of our calling in Christ Jesus to know the Father and love the Father and trust the Father, then all these things aren't worth the time of anxiety. You, know, you do your planning, you do your precautions, but understand that God is still sovereign. He's still absolutely Lord. He's absolutely in charge of everything. And so um, there, there's a peace that we have with God. There's a peace that we get from God. And that peace is a peace that we have in the circumstances of life. You know, when Paul was writing to the Ephesian Christians, he was writing to believers who were facing persecution. They really didn't know when a mob would, would just decide they were pretty upset and, and cause a riot. They, they'd already caused several riots in the city of Ephesus. The book of Acts tells us about this. And they didn't know when the mobs were going to rise and take away their homes or take away their jobs or kick them out of the community. They, they were facing the possibility of persecution all the time. Their, their, their future was not that secure. But they had peace in all circumstances. You know, no matter what was going to happen, you know, they, they had that peace that comes from God. Uh, you know, I, I did announce my retirement on March 1st, and... I just want to give you a timeline so that you understand uh, how much authority and power I have in the universe. Financial planners say the worst thing that can possibly happen to you when you retire is that your retirement fund goes down and takes a hit within the first year of your retirement. I retired on March 1st, and the market since then has gone down, what, about 30%? I must be one important person. It didn't even take a whole year, just you know, a couple of weeks. And I totally wiped out the American economy. Um, you know, and uh, you look at that and you realize, well, uh, I've already retired from this church. <laughs> I may have to go to another one. But, but, you know, but the point is, God didn't say, I am Lord and sovereign, unless your retirement account goes down. The Bible doesn't say that God is sovereign over all the earth and over all creation, unless a problem comes up. When the angel told Joseph that the name for Jesus would be Emmanuel, there was no asterisk there. It didn't say, Jesus will be Emmanuel, God with us, unless things get really dicey, and then maybe he'll bail. No, he is constantly sovereign and constantly Lord. He is Lord sovereign over your retirement account. He's Lord and sovereign over your business. He's Lord and sovereign over your life. He's Lord and sovereign over your job situation. He's Lord and so sovereign over your, your savings He's, uh, and your finances. God is absolutely sovereign. And we have peace in these circumstances because we know the, the authority and the power of God. And by the way, you know, just remember who's praying for you. Your, your church is praying for you. We're, we're praying together. But the Bible says 
that when we don't know how to pray, that the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us. And then later on there in in Romans chapter 8, Paul reminds us that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father where he makes intercession for us. God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is making intercession, praying for us to God the Father. I think that's a pretty good prayer circle, and uh, we can have confidence in that. So Paul says, remember to pray. We, we've got this, um, uh, this, this, this uh, inclination to just forget uh, what's going on. And so breathe. Remember uh, to have peace. And he says, peace to the brother. And then secondly, Paul says, and love. Now, we all know about love. Everybody agrees with love. I mean, the, the world is absolutely convinced that love is the answer uh, and that uh, all you need is love, yada da 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 and, you know, and, and those kind of beetle things. But, you know, while the world is saying, you know, all you need is love, the world doesn't have the foggiest notion what real love is. The love knows what some aspects of love are, maybe. The, the, the world understands what some of the emotionality of love, but for the world, love is something that just either happens or it doesn't. Love is something that is either um, in your life or not in your life, but the world doesn't understand that love is a gift of God's grace to us. That the love that comes to us isn't because we are lovely and lovable, but because God is love. Back in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, I think it's verse 4, uh, Paul said that it was in love that God predestined us to be saved. It was because he loved us. He had an intentionality for us. He had a choice for us. So God chose us because of his love for us. And that, that's why it's interesting in Ephesians chapter 3, if you look down to uh, verse 14, um, see, we've been here before, but Paul sort of brings it out again. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is the kind of love that Paul's talking about. It's that you would have love from God the Father and that your life would be rooted, that, that, the, that um, the, the, the life source for, you, for your life would, would just be sunk deeply into who Jesus Christ is. And then you would have a passionate love for Jesus and your life would be dominated by that love for Jesus. That you would remember to have love, to, to breathe. You know, that that love would be there and that that love uh, would be real. And, and so um, Paul is saying, re- remember to do that. Re- remember that the love is there. Now, the world, again, it, it thinks it under- understands love, but very few people really understand the kind of love that Christ is talking about, or Paul is talking about here. Um, you know, the world will, will say, yeah, yeah, love is a really good thing, but the world doesn't understand that when God says we should love and have love in our lives, it's a peculiar kind of love. I mean, they, the people of Jesus' day, they, they were always talking about, well, what are the limits of love? Uh, for, for example, uh, the, the, the man came to Jesus and he said, you know, what is the greatest commandment? It, it, this seemed to happen several times in his ministry. I, I wouldn't be surprised if people were always coming up, what is the greatest commandment? And the conversation would always come around to, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But then there's a second commandment, and that is that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And one, 
one uh, person that Jesus was talking to, and Jesus said, you need to love your neighbor as yourself, he essentially said, but aren't there limits to that? Isn't there some place where I can draw a line and say, that's where love stops? Because Jesus, who really is my neighbor? I mean, aren't there, aren't there uh, just a, a, a distance when somebody's no longer a neighbor and they're just somebody floating through my life? He said, I, I want to love my neighbors. You know, I, I have great neighbors. I live in a great neighborhood. It's easy to love my neighbors. But you run across some people and you don't want them for neighbors. And they're not that lovely. They're not that lovable. You know, the, the people would say, well, you know, you need to love your neighbor. But, you know, you need to hate your enemies. And Jesus said, no, that's not the way it is. In point of fact, you need to love your enemies and pray for them. And be a part of their lives so that God's love can flow through you into their life. This is a different kind of love. This is an incomprehensible kind of love. It's, it's the kind of love that transforms how we live. Let me, let me illustrate that still in the book of Ephesians. And I do this so you don't have to flip around in your, in your uh, iPhone too, too far. But, but in uh, uh, chapter 4, I think it's chapter, yes, chapter 4, first two verses, it says, I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Now that's the theme of the last half of the, of the letter to the Ephesians, to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And he goes on. That, that, one of the things it means to walk in a manner worthy of our calling as believers in Jesus Christ is that we love one another when it's hard to love one another. Let, let's, let's say in some kind of uh, impossible situation in which you found it hard to love me. Uh, just, just as a theoretical hypothetical. The calling of, of the love of God in Christ Jesus is a calling to love people that are hard to love that are difficult to love. And it, it, just not this once, but in verse, uh, chapter 5, verse, uh, we'll start at verse 1 again. It says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. If we are going to be the children of God, if we're going to belong to him through faith in Jesus Christ at all, it means that we will love people the way Jesus Christ loved them. And there was no limit to that love. There's no ending point to that love. I think that's one of the reasons Jesus spends a lot of time uh, talking about forgiveness and saying the necessity of forgiveness because forgiveness and love just sort of go hand in hand. And so when Peter came to Jesus and said, Jesus, I understand that we're supposed to forgive people, but isn't there a limit to that? It, you know, isn't seven times enough? I mean, after that, can't we just draw the line, lower the boom? Jesus said, Peter, it's not seven times, but 70 times seven, or 77 times, however you read the scripture. But he says, it's not seven times, it's 70 times seven. Peter, I don't think you can count that high. I think you'll lose count every time you have to start over. In other words, Peter, it's limitless love. It's, it's love that never quits. It's, and, and because of that, it's a forgiveness that never quits. That's how we make manifest. That's how we make known in our lives the love and forgiveness that God has for us by the way that we love and forgive one another. And, and uh, it, it goes on. Well, you remember when we were looking at the, um, uh, the relationships where Paul was talking about what it means to be a Christian husband, a Christian wife, Christian parent, a child, and so forth. One of the things he said was husbands, what? 
Love your wives, how? As Christ loved the church and gave himself for her so that he could present her spotless, blameless. In other words, so that he would be the channel through which uh, the church, the body of the redeemed, would be brought into the presence of the Father. Now, the husband is in no way the savior of the wife, but he is called to give up his life for his wife. Now, check back in on me here. But, you know, th- this is something that, that's going on right now. We're all in, in, in sort of confined to our homes. You know, maybe you're going to work, but you have to come home. You have to stay there, and there's no place else to go, and you're there. And isn't this great to be with all the people you love? I mean, hasn't it been a wonderful experience? You haven't lost your temper once. You haven't had sharp words once. You haven't had an argument once. I mean, it's just been so great to be just in this family that you love more than anybody else on the planet. And you've been able to just pull it off and this love is just flowing, flowing, flowing. Or you live in the real world and it's been a little bit of a challenge every now and then. But if you're going to breathe, remember that love. What does it mean? It means I'm going to love my wife and give myself up for her. And all the things you're arguing about, ultimately they don't matter. Probably. You know, most of them don't matter. Why, why, why do we argue with each other? Because we're a little tense, we're a little tired, we're a little bit scared. Which is, by the way, uh, breathing peace, peace that we have with God and breathing love that we have with faith, defined by our faith in Jesus Christ, that transforms the relationships in the home, that translates how we get through these times. I don't, I don't want to get... Uh, well, and I, I can preach about this because I don't do it. Right? But I, I, just talk about social media for a moment. I mean, of all places to talk about love and social media, there's just a, maybe a little bit true that Jesus is Lord of social media and that what we say on the Internet and what we say on Facebook and, and what, we, what, what we put out there on, on, on the Ethernet and all that, uh, you know, that those things ought to be bathed in the love of God. In Christ Jesus. I mean, almost everybody I know is frustrated with something that's going on right now. And there's a real temptation to just sort of point out how, what, what complete um, uh, reprehensible people are on the other side of me. But if we breathe in love, we can make observations. You know, we, we can assert, you know, certain viewpoints, but we can do that in love for one another. And on our, on our Facebook, on our social media, it might be the hardest place of all, but don't you think maybe we could love one another even there? Paul says, breathe in that love. Let, let that love just come in and fill your, your lungs. And then finally, in verse 24, Paul says, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Several ways to translate that, but this is, this is as good as any. He says, with those people who have so, fallen so desperately in love with Jesus that nothing can pry them away from him. People for whom Jesus is absolutely everything in their lives. May the grace of God just abound to them because they love him with they love that is incorruptible. Grace is something that uh, I think most of the world knows grace through uh, uh, bagpipes. The, 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 the hymn, Amazing Grace, and uh, I think it was Joan Collins sang it as a solo a cappella, and then, then a Scottish band played it with bagpipes, and now everybody loves bagpipes. I, and and I, I, I sort of wonder if, if people like to, to hear Amazing Grace played with bagpipes, because then you don't have to listen to the words. But it's Amazing Grace. Oh, how sweet the sound. 
that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. That's grace. That's grace that takes a life and totally turns it around in a surprising kind of way. And as we go through our our lives and we're remembering to breathe in the grace of God, we start to notice how God's graciousness towards us is expressed, sometimes in ordinary ways, sometimes in extraordinary ways, but it's always the grace of God by which he is worthy of praise and adoration, by which he is worthy that he would receive all the glory in our lives. And so let that grace be a part of your, your life. And so Paul says at the end of all this, he says, when you, when you get it all together, you've heard the gospel, you've surveyed the, the content, the meaning of the gospel, and now um, you, you've seen some of the ramifications, what, you know, what it means to apply the gospel. Now don't forget to breathe. Don't forget the peace and the love and the grace and let them be in your life through Jesus Christ. With what we're going through now, these really are good words. What would happen, and, and this really is my, my, my challenge for you, but all, all this week, you know, starting right now, before you say something to someone in, inside the home, before you um, do something or, uh, you know, whatever it is in your relationship, just pause for a moment and say, you know, where is the peace in there? How is peace coming through my life into this conversation? into this relationship. And where is the love coming through? And I get it. It's hard to do as a parent, you know, with children of any age. And it absolutely is. But one of the things Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, parents, if you're going to live and look like Jesus, it means this, don't exasperate your children. Don't, King James, don't provoke them to wrath. Make sure that when you're getting after them, you're not just irritating them because you're irritated. But have something in mind as a goal for what you're saying. You know, is, it, is it really necessary? Or can there be a little bit more love and compassion and understanding? Can you, can you step back for a moment and let peace be the, the, the primary thing that, that, that orders the relationship? And always can grace abound and how we deal with one another. Because that's really not just how we're going to get through the present crisis, but, but when it passes, and it, and it will. And all the folks in, in, uh, in our country and in the world who, who really are doing a magnificent job reaching out to one another and helping one another, but we all go back to our old style. We, we go back to the old methods of selfishness and cutting people off in traffic and, and, and not wanting people to, to get in our way and, you know, those kinds of things. Don't forget to breathe. Don't forget the peace, and the love, and the grace. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that peace would indeed be to the brothers and sisters in Christ, and that we would have love with faith from your throne of grace and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that grace would be with us because we love Jesus so much and with the love incorruptible. We pray these things in his precious name. And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.